Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for the show. On this episode, a conversation with United Federation of Teachers President Michael Mulgrew, the New York City Teachers Union President, on where things stand in this school year with uh, schools reopened amid the ongoing COVID pandemic, things that have recently changed, things he's hoping that to see change in the near future, the ongoing transition process from Mayor Bill de Blasio to Mayor-elect Eric Adams, getting into a lot here with Michael Mulgrew in this episode. But first, if you missed any recent discussions here on Max Politics, find us wherever you get podcasts or we have all the episodes at the Gotham Gazette website. This is one of the only episodes in recent months where we've talked to anybody but the seven candidates for New York City Council Speaker. Find all of my conversations. I went in depth with all seven city council speaker candidates. They have uh, various viewpoints and pitches to their colleagues. I talked with each of the seven about their government work, especially in oversight capacity. Then also asked them, what is it that you say to your city council colleagues about why they should make you the next speaker of the council, an immensely powerful position that comes with a lot of responsibility for leading the 51 seat legislative chamber that negotiates not only legislation, but of course also the $100 billion plus New York City budget and much more. So I've spoken with each of those seven candidates in recent weeks and months. Find those conversations at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. Along with this conversation here, this episode with Michael Mulgrew of the UFT, the others that I've had in recent weeks and months that haven't been with those council speaker candidates, I spoke with public advocate Jamani Williams right before he jumped into the race for governor officially, but he was previewing a lot of what his campaign pitch would be there. I spoke with city council member Idanis Rodriguez, who is a major supporter of Eric Adams during the campaign and may very well wind up in his administration, and a number of other very interesting guests in recent weeks and months. A couple months back, we spent more time on the transition in state government from Governor Andrew Coleman to Governor Kathy Hochul, and I've had some great guests there that you can find in the podcast feed uh, wherever you get your podcasts or at Gotham Gazette. All right, here is my conversation with UFT President Michael Mulgrew, a really interesting discussion that we just recorded uh, on a variety of topics, including his relationship and his union's relationship with mayor-elect Eric Adams. The UFT, of course, did not back Adams in the Democratic primary for mayor, instead going with Scott Stringer. And they've had a long uh, relationship with Adams and and much of it positive, as you'll hear Mulgrew explain. But there's also been moments of tension and there's areas of disagreement. So talking with Michael Mulgrew about where things stand in this school year, what he is seeing coming down the road as Eric Adams becomes mayor and names a new school's chancellor, got into that a little bit, and much more. I will say this, you'll hear it in the discussion, but I wanted to try to get to a conversation about the education legacy of Mayor Bill de Blasio. We just didn't have time for that, so I said to Michael Mulgrew, who'll have to come back on the show maybe right at the end of the year, to reflect on Bill de Blasio's tenure. We'll see if we wind up being able to schedule that, but we didn't really, we weren't really able to get into that. Um, You'll hear much more recent reflections from Michael Mulgrew about Bill de Blasio's leadership of the school system amid the pandemic, but not a a long-term reflection 
from him on Bill de Blasio's tenure. So hopefully we get to that another time. And then the other thing we didn't quite get to, which is um, the upcoming election for UFT president that will be taking place next year, where Michael Mogru will again face a challenge. Didn't quite get into that, but we will talk with him again uh, in the future and get into that with him as well. But we did get to a lot. So enjoy the conversation with UFT president Michael Mulgrew. All right, UFT President Michael Mogru, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I hope you are, Tulsa. Thank you. Yeah, doing doing okay. Busy busy times uh, with the holidays and the mayoral transition and everything yeah. else going on. So I'm sure I, I don't have to tell you that. Um, all right, we're talking here on December 7th, 2021. Um, where do things stand right now for teachers in New York City, for schools in New York City regarding COVID protocols, safety related to the virus, uh, the vaccine mandate. How are you feeling about the current sort of state of protocols and mandates? And what do you want to see changed here going forward? Well, last uh, just last week, we we were able to come to an agreement with the administration that again they'll start testing adults uh, at schools uh, when they're doing uh, the student testing. Um, uh, it was not a good week last week. The numbers have definitely uh, risen in terms of positive cases. Uh, thankfully, there has been no major illnesses because uh, the adults are all vaccinated. Um, now, we're, with the vaccination numbers amongst uh, 5 to 10-year-olds uh, has been going up. And uh, since the mayor announced yesterday that basically a child... Um, has to have uh, the vaccine if they do anything outside of their regular school day with the school, whether it be extracurricular, after school program or anything of that nature, on top of uh, all children over the age of five now, restaurants, entertainment venues, the whole deal, you have to be able to show proof of vaccination. Um, it, it's just so frustrating when you look at the history of pandemics. And this one is really now going to be one of the longer ones. And it's probably has to do with the fact that um, this whole pandemic has been treated politically and not medically. Mm. And so are there are there things I mean, so so basically what you're getting at a little bit there is that the city seems to be taking steps to try to get, you know, to try to mandate um, as many of the five plus population vaccinated as possible without making it a school requirement. It's a, a bit of a roundabout way of, of getting there. Do you think students five plus it should become a mandate at some point soon. How are you, you know, thinking? You know, when you look at the history of um, vaccines, especially from the 1900s, sooner or later, it's always the federal government will mandate it. And that's basically what puts an end to it. Um, there, There was no debate from the beginning of the pandemic that you needed to get to 70% vaccinated in order to really get rid of the virus. I mean, that was something the doctors were saying across the board. Um, and as a country, we're just not there. I mean, in the, you know, in the city we're there. Um, and it's, you know, the doctors we meet with constantly have their biggest concern. They're all infectious disease doctors. Their biggest concern is that you will get, um, a new strain that is does that is completely does um, the vaccines mean nothing to the new strain, and that's been their fear throughout. Um, and that's the so, risk that's hanging out there. And you you, you mentioned a national rate. We, we you know we also have to be concerned, obviously, uh, even worldwide, right? I mean, this is a virus mm-hmm. that's obviously 
uh, traveling, you know, the borders don't matter across the globe. Um, One big difference is there's a lot more people and uh, a lot more people travel more than ever before. So that's putting a big, big challenge on all of this. And, you know, people don't like to hear it, but if we don't get rid of it and it continues to mutate, when are we going to get into an isolation mode? Um, you know, you look at, you know, how these things were treated in the past before there were vaccines. The only way they dealt with it was by isolation. Um, so it's just really frustrating. So is that you urging the federal government to make this part of the, you know, as soon as all children are eligible, let's say, uh, is this something you think should be part of the vaccine you know, suite of vaccines that students need for schools. Are you urging that in the near well, future? Well, actually, that's done. That's uh, that's controlled legally by the state. Um, so uh, that is a bill in Albany, in Albany now that has been introduced. And we made a promise, myself and the union, we made a promise that we would try to do anything we can to get through this pandemic as quickly as possible. Uh, it's not going quick. Uh, But we have been at the forefront throughout of trying to push the envelope on what actual independent doctors were telling us. So if this is where we need to go, then the doctors are going to tell us that you're not getting enough younger children vaccinated. Then it has to go into it will go into the mandate of anyone who needs to go wants to go to school is going to have to get this vaccine. So no, no firm support for that bill as of yet, that that mandate, but you're... I have to talk to, it's a state issue, so I have to mm-hmm. talk to other uh, teacher, teacher union locals from around the state. Uh, there's a very, yes, you can imagine there's different uh, opinions on this, but yeah. I'm pretty sure here in New York City, I will, we will do the responsible thing to talk to the other unions from around the state. But in the end, I'm pretty sure that the um, teachers of New York City would support the vaccine mandate for children. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, even though it's a brief retrospect at this point, a uh, good decision by the mayor to mandate vaccination among school uh, personnel, employees, teachers and others. I think it, uh, we, we never had an issue with him doing it since legal once he did it legally. Uh, our only issue, which is why we had to go to court, is that he had initially his order was illegal. Uh, and as a union representative, my job is to make sure somebody doesn't try to take a crisis and use it for a power grab to set a precedent that could be used later. That could be harmful. Um, so the only reason we had to go, we went to court is because he did not allow for exemptions in this initial the department. Excuse me. Technically, the Department of Health of New York right. City issued the order, not the mayor. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but um, the initial order absolutely did not allow for exemptions. And, and we we have people who cannot take this vaccine. Literally. Small number, though. Small number. Right? It's a small number. But I mean, and these people want to work. Uh, and these people have basically been in their their homes, locked into their homes since the pandemic started. And the only way some immunocompromised big charge, yeah, Yeah. big immunocompromised. And because we're a large workforce, we have, you know, we have folks who definitely qualify for that. And it's not like two or three. Right. right. So um, we are now a few months already into the school year. Um, I think you're probably among many that are pleased that the bulk of you know, remote instruction has been left behind mm-hmm. um, uh, based on our previous conversations and other things I've heard you say, of course. Um, how, how, what's your assessment through your members, though, of how things are going in the classroom this year? Um, 
DO, you know, Department of Education support this issue of learning loss. Um, you know, so much of the conversation as we started here is about COVID protocols. Of course, you know, that's people's, you know, real health and lives on the line. But then we quickly get to the learning in the classroom and the reason <laughs> that the vaccine mandates have been put in place and everybody's trying to, you know, wanted schools to be reopened and, and such. Um What's your assessment of how the classroom atmospheres are going and, and the dealing with the learning loss of COVID and, and uh, the trauma that children have been through and adults have been through? I mean, where are things at in the yeah. classroom in terms of learning? It's the toughest year I've ever seen in education in terms of actually being inside of a classroom or a school. Hands down, it's the toughest year ever. Uh, the damage is there and it's real and it's not isolated to a small percentage. It's across the board, every school, every classroom. Uh, learning loss, which is a term most people understand, um, is there. Uh, behavioral issues, acting out, absolutely going on across the board, uh, as well as social emotional trauma and crisis. We have it all. It's all there. Um, and, um, you know, it, I wish we weren't at the end of an administration because as an administration is, tra uh, you know, transitioning, so does the Department of Education. So <laughs> there's always a huge um, change at the Department of Education. So that has not been helpful. We had plans uh, that we put together during the summer and they were basically scrapped. Uh, by the, the by, the current mayor, and he moved all the timelines up into you know ridiculous stuff. It was political once again. You can't do the you know measuring the learning loss, doing the social emotional analysis. You can't do all of that at one time. And we had a six month plan to train, roll out, work through things. We had temporary. Um, plans in place for severe trauma or severe crisis. We had that ready to go, uh, but you can't do it all at one time. And basically that's what he mandated to happen. And so that's been really quite frustrating. Um, but it, 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 and then the behavioral issues, which we all assumed was going to happen are happening. Um, you know, children miss school for basically almost two years. They're not in a school socializing. Uh, that causes a lot of issues when they come to school. We have we have first and second graders where this is their first time they've ever been in school. Mm -hmm. So just right. those right. developmental years themselves. And then you have middle school students who, you know, they're doing a whole other, you know, those are really tough years for social emotional development. They missed a year, two, almost two years. Um, and, and then high school children, uh, basically student, our students uh, did not have access to their friends. Um, so it's like all, all of these things are put, being pushed together. So it's been uh, the teachers, are, are really doing the best job they ever have done because the challenge is so great. Mm -hmm. What do teachers and, and their students need at this point that they're not getting? Um, there's been an infusion, uh, as you know, the numbers say. I mean, I, I'm sure there's there's gaps in this and, and challenges, but an infusion of counselors and nurses in, in schools. Um, what do, what do teachers and students and, and of course, you know, other school personnel, leaders, et cetera, um, what do they need at this point, given now there's been a few months to assess how tough things are in the school buildings? Yeah, I know. So it's a big deal that we worked with city council to get 600 additional social workers. Right. So mm -hmm. Everybody's happy about that. We have 1800 schools. 
Okay, so we have to put it into perspective of what we're what we're dealing with. And each school now is dealing with crisis and trauma. So what is the case? You know, once you're once you're at 30, 40 children in crisis, how much more can a social or clinical social worker do or a guidance counselor do? So that's there should have been a coordination. This is where we really wanted to take it. We wanted to coordinate efforts with existing agencies who do this type of work, but that was not able to get done. Um, so more of a, uh, a plan around, you know, some sort of temporary uh, access to all sorts of social, emotional uh, professionals. That is definitely something that will need to uh, be happen. We, we currently, we thankfully, uh, the union years ago put together a program known as Positive Learning Collaborative, which has been ex- highly successful. And it's, it's based out of uh, some training. A lot of our folks got up in Cornell University. And, you know, that type of thing is what I'm talking to the state about. Like, you know, this, is, this isn't just a New York City problem. This is a New York, this is a United States problem, but sure. even at the state level, we're like, why we need to have this frontline training for everyone to start moving, um, helping our children who have are facing all of these difficulties. It's not, it's it, it's so deep the problem, uh, the challenge um, that it's going to require. It can't just be left to the school at this point. Mm-hmm. It's just too big of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And um, as you mentioned, well, before we get to the shift in the in the mayoral administration, the Department of Education administration, you, you, the UFT is um, has now put on a, a bit of a full court uh, press and organizing press here on this bill in the city council around uh, class mm-hmm. sizes and, and changing some of the requirements in the city that would reduce uh, class sizes. It's a it's a, a square foot a square foot per student uh, numbers. In in rooms, it, that seemed. I mean, that's got over forty sponsors in the fifty-one seat city council. Um, but time is running thin here. There's one, maybe two final stated meetings of the council. Where does this bill stand? Um, folks listening can find all the details. We've covered this at Gotham Gazette, and and the UFT has put out information on this, of course, and plenty of other places. But it, uh, you know, the aim of the bill is to reduce uh, class sizes and the and the requirements there. Where does this stand, and do you see any possibility that this passes in this final few weeks of this city council? Look, we're going to keep trying to pass it right now with this city council, but we're already working with the incoming city council. Uh, and, and if you look at the history of it, this is something that uh, we have thought my, the teachers and the parents have always been on the same page on this issue. Never been different. The The information that was always out there by whatever administration was running City Hall or the Department of Education is that it was such a we didn't have anywhere near enough space to do this. It would cost 30 billion dollars. They had all of this craziness out there. What something happened during the pandemic, what we never did before. We actually went and walked through every single school building in New York City and measured the instructional space, whether that be a lab, a regular classroom, all sorts of different things, different types of classroom music rooms. We measured the instructional space. And lo and behold, we found out we had a lot more instructional space than we ever knew, um, which is which was fortunate. Uh, so once we realized we had more instructional space, then it became all right. So let's try to figure out what it would cost. The city's still at $30 billion. They haven't looked at it. The Department of Ed just doesn't want to do it, quite frankly, because it requires a lot of work on their behalf. 
Um, the IBO, the Independent Budget Office, did an analysis. So we said, all right, we're going to use the IBO's uh, formulas. And once we did that, we found out initially the initial bill would mean an, an additional 100,000 seats. That's, that's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal in New York City. But when we heard all of the concerns, the city council went back and amended the bill. So now we only need 38,000 additional seats. We already have 55,000 seats scheduled in the capital plan. So it's not even an expansion of the capital plan. Then they get to the cost for the teachers. And on that, we need 11,000 teachers over a five-year period. That's what we would need. that only that would cost us a billion dollars. That sounds like a lot. But guess what? We fought for two decades to get the contract for excellence from Albany. And they give us the state for now on is giving us an additional billion dollars mm-hmm. on top of all the other funding we have. So this really becomes and, and, and then the, so we're doing it for safety. We understood we had a big problem in New York City because we are we were so crowded the, the way the classes were set up, because that's the way they program. We don't need to program that way anymore. But if we can do this, all it does is get us to the same class sizes that the rest of the state already has. So safety and instruction, we're all, we can talk about. But for anyone who talks about equity, how can you talk about equity for the children of New York City when our classes are 30% greater than the rest of the state? Mm-hmm. And that's the issue for us. So we're going to, you know, what happens now? Because, the, you know, the de Blasio administration's telling the Adams administration it's going to cost $30 billion and handcuff you before you even get into office. So the Adams administration is, well, we need to see more numbers. I understand their concern, but it's like we're willing to sit down with anyone. But this is the number one issue for parents in the city. It has been for decades. Um, and we know this. The children in New York City truly deserve to have the uh, the same class sizes as the rest of the children in the state. And so from your analysis and your perspective, this would not be um, as challenging a fiscal uh, impact as as some are saying. And even though it would add a recurring cost, yes, it, it, it can be paid for. Yeah, through, but it's through existing funds. This way, that's what the rest of the state does. Mm-hmm. They made that commitment. You know, why do we even have class size limits in New York City? It's because the teachers of this union years ago decided to forego compensation to get that. The rest of the state, they don't negotiate class sizes because they understand the the parents in those school districts understand they want lower class sizes. And that's what they want. They don't want, you know, we spent over $6 billion on DOE Central. Just on Central. An okay. area, an area where Eric Adams has said there's a lot of bloat, and he wants to he wants to right. take a, a real yeah a real look at that. Him and I completely. That's been a majority uh-huh. of our conversations. Uh-huh. I mean, six billion dollars. Everyone over there, every every principal has a staff director, uh, another director, and then each director has directors. It's insane what goes on over there. So uh, coming back to that in a second, this bill on class sizes is not going to pass in these next few weeks. I don't know. There's some people, there are different ways to get this done. Um, and some people now are because 41 people are sponsoring it and they're getting a little upset. The mm-hmm. speaker had said if there was ever a bill that had a super majority, he would let it go to the floor. Well, guess what? This bill has a super majority. 
Corey Johnson, the speaker, has been an ally of yours. You endorsed him in his controller campaign. What's and he's been great on education. He's right. been phenomenal on education. That's why this is a you know a, you know this is a tough one, but we're gonna. It's about the children of that city getting uh, the getting to, to at least a safe school environment and an environment that the rest of the children in state already have. So yeah, it gets a little touchy. What's he saying? I mean, what's he? What's his? What's he saying to you? Or what now he's saying he's not sure about the costs or what it would actually tie the city into. I, clearly, he's trying to work with the Adams administration, which is responsible. I'm not telling you it's not responsible, but we have the numbers. The city council has the numbers. And 41, when we amended the bill, that's when we added six more additional sponsors. Mm-hmm. So that took away. They had concerns, which we agree with. We said, fine, let's amend the bill. Um, and if something has to be amended again to make it uh, to ease other people's concerns, we would be more than willing to do that. Interesting. You're listening to UFT President Michael Mulgrew here with Ben Max on Max Politics. Um, all right. We're going to have you back to do some retrospective on the de Blasio years. We don't have time for that today, unfortunately. We have pressing issues we've been discussing, and we want to talk a little bit more about the incoming administration because that's really where you know the most important forward-looking uh, discussion needs to happen, and that's more important at this point than, than looking back and breaking down all of the the de Blasio year stuff. But I, w- I do want to uh, have you back for a conversation on that sometime maybe later this month. I don't know if we can okay. have time, but we'll, we'll try. So you got at this middle of a school year and not just any school year, but this return to school buildings, pandemic still going on, uh, so many challenges, new mayor coming in, new chancellor coming in. We already know that in the middle of the school year, what are you stressing to the Adams uh, transition team, to the mayor elect? Um, what are the most immediate things that you're trying to get across to them? And then we can talk about sort of longer term stuff. Well, first is the safety protocols. The testing has to remain in place uh, and hopefully we won't have to increase it, but we may have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so test and trace was basically designed um, and it's basically an agency onto itself at this point uh, that was designed during the pandemic. And we have to make sure that that does not falter during a transition. And it's actually testing has proven to be the number one component of us stopping anything bad from happening inside of our schools since this pan- since the middle of the pandemic when we got our testing up to the levels it should have been that's number one uh number two uh, you know you know we know about a lot of different people involved with the transition uh for us it's can we start coming up with a plan to deal with the damage uh, that both the adults and the children have really are dealing with right now at this point in time? Uh, is there a real way to get to a plan on all of those things? Those are the two major issues. And of course, class size is something we are talking to them about uh, because we know that now is the time to actually do this over this school year. Sometime this should be the time when New York City makes a commitment to lowering their class sizes. So those are the three main issues we're talking to them about. And how is the relationship with the mayor elect at this point? Obviously, you've known him for a long time. He's mm-hmm. been Brooklyn Borough President, State Senator, but you've had some issues with him. He's um, more of a charter school supporter than you'd like. Um, yep. You know, there were there were some issues that came up during the primary, of course, uh, mm-hmm. when, you back, you, when you back Scott Stringer. Um, but how's the relationship now? 
what are you, you know, saying in terms of, um, I mean, it seems like everybody thinks David Banks will be the next chancellor. I was going to ask you, you know, what are you trying mm-hmm. to say to him about picking the next chancellor? But, you know, there's a lot of assumption that's that's already been decided. What's your sense yeah. of the relationship with the mayor elect and the, and the plan for the next chancellor? It really comes down. Look, I speak to Eric frequently. I haven't. Not, not since he's been in Africa, you know, I, I left only I only left a message for him. I only will contact him now if something needs that he information he needs. But um, it's it's really it's a hell of a challenge he's about to take on. Right. Sure. So but at the same time, this is what I have found out from transitions. Everyone thinks, you know, people coming in, they have a team. They're like, we're gung ho. We want to. This is what we want to get done. These are our messages. But no administration has ever come in during a transition of a pandemic in New York City. We have obviously we are having a crime issue. Obviously, we're having a homeless issue. You know, those things were growing before the pandemic and then just got exacerbated horrendously during the pan, you know, since the pandemic has hit. And, and that's basically what he was elected for at this point. I mean, that was the message that all New Yorkers agreed upon, that that was the number one issue, because uh, uh, this, all the pandemic crap we're dealing with. And then on top of this, we have an exploding crime issue and homelessness. So he has to, you know, for, for us, it's we have to be supportive of him in terms of those things. But we don't want to go backwards with our school system. I, we know some of the people involved with the transition. They were in a, an administration before the Blasio, the Bloomberg administration, mm-hmm. where they made all they wanted to talk about was we need charter schools and we're going to weed out the weak teachers, which actually let, uh, was a cute little trick because what it did was it took them off the hook about helping the schools they were already in charge of (laughs) because they didn't want to talk about the schools they were in charge of. They wanted to talk about charter schools and weak teachers. Um, And and we would, you know, we always would tell people that, you know, it was a cute little trick that they pulled because basically they didn't hold, it was their way of not holding themselves accountable. Um, So so is your, how concerned are you? Mm -hmm. You know, if it goes back to that, there's no, I mean, the Bloomberg Foundation announced a big announcement last week. It dropped like a lead balloon, um, you know, and right now. Hundreds of millions of dollars behind. Yeah, hundreds schools. of millions of dollars mm-hmm. charter schools across the country. And specifically, he always loved us. He always loved the UFT, said blaming teachers unions for everything. <laughs> So, so Eric, um, but Eric Adams, he's not. He hasn't given indication. He has the Bloomberg vision for New York City schools. No. He's got some sort of his own vision, obviously. But in some ways, something you know, some strands of a Bloomberg vision. And mm-hmm. but, but seemingly, you know, his education platform has a lot that you probably liked in it. Yes. Um. So, so yeah. So, what are you hoping for here, and what are you most concerned about? So you know, Eric has told me, but in a, you know, Eric as a Brooklyn Borough President, he's a huge supporter of our United Community Schools uh, uh, project. And actually, you know, the union runs over thirty schools itself. Uh, we now actually are running, uh, helping a school in Albany. We're going out across the state. Um, he he was a huge supporter of our schools. Put money into them. Did all, all sorts of things. Understood it was a smart way to go. And it was a better use of city services. It was a better use of getting direct. To, directing services to families and children because our school, our community schools aren't just about the child. It's about how do we support the whole family? So he's a big supporter of those career and technical education. He loves career and technical education. Mm-hmm. 
so does our governor. The new governor mm -hmm. loves career and technical education. Um, those numbers are through the roof. This career and technical ed schools and programs in New York City have a much higher graduation rate than everything else. Uh, so those are really positive things. Uh, the positive learning collaborative, how do you train all the adults to work as a team in, ter in terms of creating a culture inside of a school uh, where you all of a sudden, when we do that, we'll go into a school that has a high number of suspensions. And over a period of about 18 months, you'll see those suspensions come down to almost nothing. But it's being done not because we're saying no suspensions. It's being done because we're dealing with the root issues immediately when children are having problems. Those type of things, Eric, has always been a huge believer and supporter in. And, and those are the things um, we, we would really like to work on with him. If the other stuff comes up, you know, we'll do whatever has to be done. But to me, it's just, I always said this about the Bloomberg years. I, I was only president for four and a half years under him. I was a wasted opportunity because the teachers and, and their union have, I don't know how many unions do this. I don't know of anyone who does. We spend millions of dollars a year putting in programs inside of our schools of our own money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know of any union that goes back to their agency and puts millions of dollars into it to put in programs so that their, their agency can get better. In our last minute here, is it your understanding that David Banks of Eagle Academy is the next school's chancellor? Is that is that from your perspective uh, a mean, done deal here? I had to make a bet today. I would say yeah. probably. Uh, and I've known David for years. And yet, uh, what's your relationship? I've known David for years. Actually, big believer in low class sizes if you saw his schools. Uh, um, and he's done a great job with, you know, really the, the program, you know, with our young men of color really going after the, an issue and creating. And I've been in his schools. He creates a real culture inside of it that helps that population because they were they were absolutely by all the numbers they were behind. So, you know, I give him nothing but kudos for doing that work and tackling it. Mm -hmm. Any concerns? You know, at this point, we just got to get to work. Uh, my only, mm -hmm. the biggest concern I have is transitioning in the middle of a school year with rising COVID numbers, pandemic still all around us. That is mm -hmm. my most immediate concern at this moment. That, mm -hmm. because, you know, as they're going in, it's tough. You got to get that team ready. It's an, as I said, Eric Adams, he knows this is an enormous challenge going in now to run the entire city. And so, We'll be there to help. We want Eric to be the most successful mayor of all time. We want him to be the most successful education mayor. That is our hope for him. So we'll be there to help. But that, that that's really the concern right now is getting through the transition and keeping everyone safe. All right. Ten things on my list we didn't get to. We'll have you back. Uh, oh, real quick. Uh, city Council Speaker, you have you have a candidate? No, nope. I know the I know the UFT we do not have a candidate. Behind. We have yeah. uh, the teachers of my uh, the teachers of the UFT have said uh, loudly that they would prefer a female to be a candidate because they believe that it says a lot about us as New York City. If the four uh, big positions in the city are all held by men. Right. And the three citywide electeds are men. So the speaker could be yep. could be the only woman in the group. All right. Uh, Michael Mulgrew, thanks for the time, as always. And we'll check in with you again soon. All right. You'll be well now. You too.